Thank you, worship team, and good morning, good morning, Community Grace, and friends. Good morning out there in the Fellowship Hall. Thank you. Good morning online. Hey, this room is packed. This is great to see. I'm Pastor Reg, and I want to welcome all the members of the church, attenders, friends, family. We have some family here today. It's a special, special day. And now is a very special time where we open God's Word and hear from the Holy Spirit what he has for us today. So let's do this. Amen? I'm going to begin today with, two, with three questions that Americans rarely slow down enough to ask, whether that's because we're just too busy or we're too opinionated already or we are really bothered by what the answers might be. They are the classic existential questions of existence, of life. Here they are. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? Who am I? This, this is a, a question that scientists try really hard to answer. This is a question that people make all kinds of philosophical guesses. Who are we? Have you stopped and thought about these questions? Another one is, why am I here? One business writer captured the relevance of this question. He said, listen to this, Nothing is so useless as doing efficiently that which should not be done at all. Many people are experts at organizing their lives, managing their time, and minding their finances. They carefully update their electronic calendars, but their lives have no ultimate purpose. Ouch. So why are we here on this earth? And where am I going? Where are we going in this life? Where are we going after this life? Stopping to ponder these questions for many people is troubling, and so we just don't do it. But for the Christian, pondering these questions is exciting. It brings hope, it brings direction, it brings purpose, and it brings value of ourselves and value of other people. So we're going to ponder these questions today. That's what Psalm 8 does. Our scripture today is Psalm 8. As you know, we're we're continuing our sermon series. We're four weeks into this new sermon series, Seasons of Renewal, Walking with God in the Psalms. And that's what we've been doing, and the journey's been pretty good so far. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have too. Well, that journey continues, and you'll see the seasons that we're talking about today. First, I want to say welcome to Connected Sunday. As you heard in the announcements, that's what we're calling today. We just noticed that it's a really special day for a few reasons. Well, first of all, I just want to see. Who invited someone to come or watch online today? If, if you did, raise your hand. It doesn't matter if they came. Just raise your hand if you invited someone. Good job. Thank you. We did, and they came. Uh, we had an unfair advantage, though. We're baptizing one of our daughters today, so that's a big reason. That's the first reason. Baptism is the first reason. That's always a very special thing that Jesus gave his church. Free food, also a very special thing that Jesus gave his church. I'm pretty sure. So lunch in honor of the Buller family. Uh, you don't need to know who the Buller family is. Just come and eat lunch with us, and we'll introduce them to you. And then uh, Indiana's back on track. Stage four began this weekend, and that's a big milestone as we gather uh, again. And then finally, this message from Psalm 8 about our identity as human beings. Uh, and that's significant, too. So let's press into Psalm chapter 8. I've been starting each week with this little segment called About the Psalms. Psalms are a unique genre. Uh, they're ancient Hebrew poetry. Uh, they don't operate 
they don't read like a lot of the things we read today. So it's helpful to know how to understand them, to really grasp the beautiful, complex things that God is doing through the Psalms. So here's what I have today, reading poetry effectively. That's the about the Psalms today. My dad, who has been a pastor and seminary professor for several decades, uh, describes one time preparing to preach through Psalm 119. Now that's the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses, and so that's a lot for one sermon. So he was planning the, the sermon series in Psalm 119. And by the way, he's here today, right there. Hey, hi, Dr. Larry Overstreet. Nice to have you here. So he tells a story that he was having a hard time to figure out exactly how to divide this long psalm into chunks for the sermon. So he consulted resources, other scholars, other preachers, to see how they did it. And you know what he discovered? All of them did it differently. Well, that's not very helpful, is it? But in that process, he discovered what my about the Psalms is for today. Listen to his words. Here's what he writes. I solved my problem concerning Psalm 119 by coordinating my analytical study, that's your mind study, with reading each stanza numerous times, often out loud, until I felt it. Someone may immediately respond, but isn't that subjective? To this I answer unapologetically, yes, it is subjective. After all, we are reading poetry, and poetry is intended to reach us emotionally. He continues, poetry conveys experiences, ideas, and emotions in a vivid and imaginative way. This requires the reader to enter emotionally, imaginatively into the poem. Listen to this. The interpreter, that's us today, should read the poem out loud several times and permit himself the luxury of an emotional response before the mental analysis. So there's a tip for today to let the Psalms enter your emotions as you're doing the thinking about it. And we're going to try to achieve that very thing today as we go through Psalm 8. So here's what I'd like to do. We're going to read the verses as we work through the, the psalm in this message. But each time we get to the verses, we're going to all read them out loud together. Sound good? They'll be on the screen. We're going to do that as we go. Uh, you know, many of the psalms were actually written to be sung by the whole assembly. So this is right in line with their original intention. Now, I'm not going to lead the singing of the Psalms. <laughs> so I'm just not even going to try. But I will lead in the reading of it out loud as we go. Yes. So David in Psalm chapter 8, here's what he's addressing in Psalm chapter 8. He's teaching us our value as human beings. We are going to realize three things as we go. We're going to realize God's majesty. Then we're going to realize God's care. And then we're going to realize God's crowning of us. God's crowning. And all this begins with a prologue, an opening exclamation in the first half of verse 1. So here we have the prologue. If you have your sermon notes, you see this on there. It's on the screen as well. 
Realizing God's majesty results in our praise. This is how David begins, so this is how we'll begin. Let's go ahead and read this together out loud. Would you join me? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Yeah, great job. That was sweet. All right, so notice a few things about what we just read. See how there's two names for the Lord, how Lord and Lord are. See how they're written differently. Anytime you see the word Lord in all capital letters, capital L-O-R-D, that represents God's personal name. The actual Hebrew word here is Jehovah. This is God's personal name. We call him God. We call him Father, we call him Jesus, Holy Spirit. This is his personal name, though. Now, the next Lord, the word there is Adonai. You've heard, many of you have heard that word. That is his title, Master. O Lord Jehovah, our Lord, our Master. And God is indeed our Master. But listen, in beginning with his personal name, Jehovah, what we have just done together as we've read this verse out loud is we have begun a personal relationship with God. We are right now entering a personal conversation with God. Next he says, how majestic is your name. Let's understand that word name. The word name refers to the character of God, the reputation of God, how majestic he is. And we can relate to this with, with a good businessman. A good business person would be known by his honest trading, his honesty, integrity, and by the high quality of his goods or services that he's selling. So to illustrate that, when we first moved here just a few months ago, I put out on Facebook, uh, I need recommendations for an auto mechanic, and then I needed recommendations for a dentist. And I got a lot of responses. And how did you know who to recommend to us for those things? You recommended people or businesses that you know have a good name, right? A good reputation. And thank you for that. We'll be asking for other recommendations as we go along, I'm sure. Uh, but that's in the same sense what's happening here. As we stand in this world and look, look around us, look at creation and see the works of God, we see that he has a good reputation, a good character. We see that by the works of his hands. Now hold on to that. We'll come back to that. That's the prologue. That's the opening thought and the opening emotion that we're entering into right now. Now let's journey through the rest of the, of the psalm. And we come to our first thing that we're going to realize in verses 1 and 2. We're going to realize God's majesty. Let's do that together. Realize God's majesty. And, and I have an a, a overarching big truth for you today. This is what I want you to take, take to heart and personalize. This right here. Okay, this is, I'm going to repeat this several times throughout the rest of our time this morning. That is this. That the more we realize God's majesty, the more we realize God's majesty, the more we will realize the glory and honor that we have in our own selves. And we'll know what to do about it. Okay, the more we realize God's majesty, the more we'll realize the glory and the honor of our own selves. And we'll know what to do about it. That's our big truth today. And the season that we're addressing today, maybe for you, it could be you're in a season of low self-esteem. You have doubt, a fear, uncertainty, not really knowing how to answer those questions that we started with. 
Or maybe you're in a season where you don't value others. There's somebody that you dislike or hate or will not respect. This is the kind of season we all find ourselves in that season at some time or another. So let's talk about this. The first step, again, is that we need to realize the majesty of God. Know who God is, and then we can know who we are. That's what we're going to do right now. So let's realize that in verse 1, we see God's majesty is displayed. Let's read the whole verse this time together. Verse 1. Ready? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So here is David, who grew up as a shepherd boy. He grew up as a shepherd and often looked up at night. Maybe every night he did this. He looked up, pondering the heavens. And God's glory is revealed as being above them, above the heavens. Let's look at the heavens and then consider what it means that God's glory is above them. We have the technology to, to look at the heavens today like we never have before. And I, I never get tired of looking at these kind of pictures. Let's just look at a few. The first is our own galaxy, the Milky Way. Everybody knows that's our galaxy, right? And you can actually see it on a clear night like this. Listen to the, the Milky Way, the galaxy the planet Earth is, is in, has 400 billion stars in it. That's big, right? Our Milky Way galaxy is 100,000 light years in diameter. Wow, that's amazing. But our galaxy is not the only galaxy in the universe. One of my daughters made me promise that I would show these two galaxies as we looked at the fun pictures. Here's the Cartwheel Galaxy and the Rose Galaxy. Pretty cool, huh? Those are 500 million light years away from the Earth. How many galaxies are there? Astronomers estimate over 100 billion galaxies. Now God's just blowing our minds. I mean, really, blowing our minds. This picture shows the development of our technology, how we can even see out into space. You see in the 1990s, you have the observatories that got you so far, and then the Hubble telescope has been getting farther and farther into deep space. And the next generation is called something else, and it's taking you even deeper into space. And notice that those little blips on the screen, those are not stars. Each of those are galaxies. I mean... When I see these pictures, it just makes me want to fall down and repent, right? And it makes me want to fall down and worship God. And when we realize God's majesty, then we can start realizing the glory and honor of our own selves. And that's where we're going to continue. But first, recognize that God's glory is above the heavens. It's above all that. So here's how we should feel as we read a psalm like this. We should feel a sense of awe. We should feel a sense of delight knowing that we can know the creator of all of this. A sense of honor and privilege. A sense of wanting to respond to God. Not a sense of pride, but of humility. A sense of, as we will see, an incredible amount of self-worth. So that's God's glory displayed by all the heavens. And he's not done yet. In verse 2, 
God's majesty is declared, declared by babies. <laughs> All right, I love this verse. I have, I have grown to absolutely love this verse, probably because I'm a dad. But check this out. David ponders the glory of God, and after the heavens, he brings up another deep wonder about God. So here's, here's what he's saying as the verse is on the screen. Imagine that you are here in church on Sunday morning, you're visiting with people, and we sing the songs, and we're all engaged, and then listening to the hopefully powerful words of, of the preaching of God's word. And in the middle of all of that, you hear the cries of a nursing infant in the second to last row. And you're tempted to think, why is that crying child disturbing all of this great stuff that we're doing? You're tempted to think that, right? Why is this little child interrupting this holy time of worship? What good are they doing for the kingdom of God? Well, verse 2, on cue, I was hoping for that. Thank you, Lara's. For providing that. Okay, now we're all tracking now, I can tell. Verse 2 answers this question, what good is that little baby doing for the kingdom of God right now? Here's what he's doing. You see that little baby is keeping Satan, the enemy and avenger, away. Now that's cool. Way to go. Here's the point of the psalm in this poetical way to make this point, is that what man considers the least in power and significance, God is able to use to conquer their greatest enemies. Amen? This is how God works. God uses even the weakest, or sometimes often especially the weakest among us, to make his power and majesty known. So just like a parent comes to the aid of a crying baby... So God comes to the aid of us when we reach out to him. Anytime a human calls on God, a power that is greater than all of the universe comes to your assistance. Realize the majesty and glory of God. And the more we do, the more we'll start realizing next the glory and honor of our own selves and know what to do about it. Now the psalm goes on, and we realize God's care, God's care for his creation. See the truth in these verses, verses 3 and 4, because it means everything to the way that you view yourself and view others. How I see myself, who am I, why am I here, where am I going? These verses mean everything to us. We'll look at verse 3 first and then verse 4. In verse 3, God cares for his creation. Let's read it out loud together. Verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. And we'll just stop right there. So here again, David, the shepherd who grew up to be king, often did this. He looked and he pondered the heavens, and he gives God all the glory for it. And And he identifies that the heavens are the work of God's fingers. He's intimately involved, and he cares for his creation. He's put them together to work in a logically and scientifically marvelous way. He cares for his creation. And now in verse 4, it gets personal. God cares for us. God cares for his image bearers. 
Let's read verse 4. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? And here's our question. What is man? Mankind, humanity, old, young, babies, your neighbor, the people on the other side of the planet who you will never meet, your enemies, all of us, humans. What are we in this wide expanse of a universe? Before he answers this question, in the rest of the psalm, notice what he says here. Don't miss this. He, notice how he frames the question. What is man, what are we, that you are mindful of him and that you care for him? Being mindful means that God thinks about us. He thinks about us. God's greatness, I mean, he's bigger than the universe. God's greatness does not mean that he is distant. But rather, it means that he understands every detail about your life. He thinks about us. That he cares for us. The word care here means to intervene in someone's life in order to make a change. He cares about your life, and he wants you to let him be involved in it, to do things in your life, to make a change in your life. Well, he is majestic, and he's active in our lives. He's not passive. He actively cares for you and for me and for everyone. That's humans. Are humans merely meaningless, accidental space dust? No, we are not. Am I and you too little to matter to God? No, we are not. We are his image bearers, the Bible says. We are made to picture him, to reveal him and to know him and to be cared for by him. So who are we? We are who God says we are. That's good news. And all humans are made with such intentionality and such great care and such great purpose that the poet now calls it a crowning. Okay, he's going to up the level of intensity even more right now in verses 5 through 8. Our first point was to realize God's majesty, and that leads us to realize God's care. And now we're going all the way. Realize God's crowning of his image bearers. See, evolution teaches us that we're the space dust accidental, that we're accidents in, in random chance, that we have no value. We are valueless. How, how sad is that? That is so empty, and it, honestly, that worldview leads to a lot of the destruction that we see in society. A lot. But God says we have great value to him. So let's look at who God crowns and then why God crowns. Verse 5, we see who God crowns. Let's read verse 5 again together to each other, to God. Here we go. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. That's you that you're reading about right there. And this is why I want, especially for you to read this out loud, because this verse screams, I have value. My neighbor has value. 
We all have value. The nations have value, great value, because God made people and made them for a purpose. All right, so let's look at what else this verse says here. God made Adam and Eve to be in his likeness, but he did not make Adam and Eve to be equal to him, right? He made them a little lower than the heavenly beings. But since we are God's image bearers, we are way above the animals. You've got to get this correct. But lower than God. We are crowned by God with glory, it says, glory and honor. Let's look at those two different words. Glory, humans have dignity and importance, every single one. And honor means that humans God honors as the pinnacle of his creation, the top of his creation. We have glory, we have honor. Now, why does God crown us with glory and with honor? Why does he do this? Because we are his image bearers. We are pictures of, of him, and that brings him glory. Realize this. How many people are on, on the earth right now, alive? About seven billion So get this picture. There are 7 billion pictures of God running around this world right now. 7 billion pictures of God running around all over the earth. And as small and as flawed as we all are, these images scream, there is a God. And he made us. Isn't this amazing? There is a creator and we can know him. And he gave us value. And he cares for us. And he's screaming that as we just walk around the earth reflecting him. And next he tells us that we have important functions in his creation. Only humans have functions. Now, the whole Bible is filled with with functions, things, purposes, things that God wants us to do. But David just focuses on a couple of them here in verses 6 through 8. This is why God crowns. Let's go ahead and read verses 6 through 8 together, and get some of the functions, some of the reasons that we're here on this earth. Ready? Here we go. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. God has crowned humans with glory and honor and then has given us functions in this world. And each of us has different functions. We have dominion over all creation. You have dominion over things that I don't. I have dominion over certain things in God's creation. We have the authority over it. We have the responsibility to care for it and to achieve the things that God has given us to do to care for it, to advance it, to heal it. We have a stewardship in all of this. And that means we have identity and we have meaning and purpose. And each of, our, our, each of us, ours is different. But everyone has value. Everyone has value. So let's repeat again today's truth. That is, and maybe you have, have it memorized by now. I've memorized it because I've been practicing it. Okay, our big truth today, again, is the more that we realize God's majesty and glory the more that we, re- we will realize the glory and the honor that we have in our own selves and know what to do about it. I want us to walk away today so healthy in this area and also to know the God who gets the credit for it. 
That's a message our world needs. Our world has always needed this message. It would bring a whole lot of peace if we got this message. And there is only one place to find this message, and that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, Reg, we're in Psalm 8. Psalm 8 was written a 1,000 years before Jesus Christ came. How are you going to find the gospel of Jesus Christ in this? This is exactly God's purpose. It was in David's writing of Psalm 8, and it is in our meeting today as we open the word of God. Here's where. The writer of Hebrews, a book in the New Testament that was written a 1,000 years after David, right after Jesus, the man who was God, the Son of God, became a human, we called him Jesus, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, and rose from the dead to take care of our sins, to conquer them, to conquer death. Shortly after that happened, the writer of Hebrews writes this. He quotes Psalm 8 and teaches us this. Hebrews 2, 6 through 8. You don't need to read these, just listen to what he says. The writer of Hebrews says, it has been testified somewhere, and I could tell him it's Psalm 8. (laughs) What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. That's what we've studied so far. Then at the end of verse 8, he writes, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. You might be thinking, you know, all this sounds so good, but there's so much pain and hurt in the world. Now we're going to make sense of this. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. And that's right. Animals can kill people. People can drown in oceans that God made. Viruses can infect people. Humans abuse and kill each other. How can this be? The answer is because of sin. Because of sin's horrible effects on the creation and on each and every one of us. Because of sin, we hurt and abuse and are prideful and are divisive. And we are not able to realize the glory of And the honor that God intended for us. Until we have a Savior. And that promised Savior has come. He has come. Hebrews continues to proclaim this in verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of his suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Our Savior has come. We are not perfected yet. That comes in heaven, in eternity. But Jesus is. And we cannot save ourselves, but Jesus can. And if you receive his salvation, you receive the crowning and the glory and the honor that God intended for you from the beginning. That happens, my friends, my brothers and sisters, 
through Jesus Christ. This is where all of scripture leads, right here to this truth that God wants you to know more than anything else that he loves us, but that we stand under his righteous judgment in our sin. And so he gave us Jesus. The one who lived for us and died for us and claimed the crown of glory and honor for us and offers it to us by his death for our sin. I hope this is making sense. I hope this is meaning something to you. Have you received Jesus, his salvation? You stand strong in this and know the value that God has placed on you. And to all who received him already or will do some today, we come to the epilogue, verse 9. And now I need you to read back out loud with me again. We have the prologue. He repeats the same thing at the epilogue with this new realization that we have right now. Let's say verse 9 out loud again right now. Here we go. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Here's today's big truth one last time. The more we realize God's majesty, the more we realize the glory and the honor that he's given us in our own selves. And the more we know what to do about it. Let's talk about what to do about it. I have two next steps as we conclude. And the first, of course, is to trust and receive Jesus. If you have not done that, you know, it doesn't cost anything. He's paid the cost. But you do need to repent of your sin, your self-sufficiency, and claim Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and he's ready to forgive you and give you a new life right now. He invites you to do that today. Will you do that? If you do or you want to, if you do that today or you want to hear more about it and talk to more Fill out the communication card. We don't pass around the offering plate anymore, but there are boxes on the walls at each exit. And drop that in. Or online, you can sign up on the communication card on the resource pages. And we want to talk to you about that right now. And then baptize you if you trust Jesus, which is, happens to be what he says to do next. So the next step, number two, is to live like Jesus tells us to live. That's what we give the rest of our lives to once he saves us, once he gives us that crowning of glory and honor that he's intended us for, for us all along. Okay, God privileged his people to, to do this, to bury his glory, his honor, but there's a certain way to do that, and Jesus has taught us that way. He's taught us things like be, to be grateful people, um, being grateful for everything he's done in your life and in this world and who he is and who he's made us. That should be a huge motive, like the fuel that drives us. So what does that look like for you? Your gratitude for Christ. What does that look like for you? To be humble people, not prideful and divisive anymore. What does that look like for you? How's God speaking to you? To be worshipful people, not to just live for ourselves, but to worship God, to be worshipers of, of His by ourselves, in our homes, our families, to lead them in worship and in the church, to worship together. What does that look like for you? What do you need to do to be a part of that? And to be good stewards of everything God has given us. What does that look like for you? Squandering the stuff that God's given you, the abilities, the, the, the money, the whatever. 
or to use it for him and his glory and his work. And to respect and value and love other humans, all of them. And this is not easy. It takes work and maturity. And God is there. He cares about us. He's there to help us do this, to make this change in our lives. So we need to seek to understand our differences between you, me, and other people. Understand that our natural flesh wants to be arrogant and wants to be divided so we feel better somehow. So what's our role as Christians? Our role is to bring peace and reconciliation that Jesus provides. That's our role, and we have that opportunity. So I want to invite everyone to keep coming back for the rest of the Psalms series. You are welcome here all the time. We have an exciting summer plans as well. We want you to be a part of this church or another healthy church. And to be an active part of this church, actually, you don't have to come back. It's next. We're going to do baptisms next. And you are the witnesses of the testimonies uh, of these baptisms today. And then, of course, our closing today and then the lunch right after the service. I, I encourage you to come and break bread, have fellowship, and a good time outside. The food is being served prepared right now. And then, again, our panel this Wednesday night, which is open to the community. It's in the gym. It's for, um, for anyone who comes as we address the world's current problems with wisdom, with grace, and with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Those are just some ways. How has God called you today? Don't let this moment pass without responding to him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word and the Holy Spirit who makes it alive. And it is. And it is a powerful force. And you are there working in our lives. But you won't do it for us, God. I pray that you'll humble us and make us extremely interested and excited about living for you and your glory. Experiencing what you offer to give us so graciously. Lord, we give you our hearts as we're about to sing right now. And I pray that everyone who's listening to this will mean it and live it as we go from here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.